Hi, my name is Andrew Shankman. I'm a writer, mostly of kids' cartoons, and also the host of this podcast, Goodest Notes. On Goodest Notes, our mission is to interview career creatives of all kinds about the best notes and feedback they have received on their work from their collaborators. Because getting notes can be rough, but they can also be goodest. We are still workshopping the introduction. Today's guest is Rosalie Cronin. Rosalie is an environment artist working in the AAA gaming space after making a career switch from front-end web development. She's currently working at Certain Affinity, who have partnered with 343 Industries to work on the game Halo Infinite in an exciting and currently very secret capacity. Hi, Rosalie. How's it going? Hi, it's going good. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. You came into games after switching careers, and I was wondering if there's anything that jumps to mind from your previous profession that has given you an interesting perspective on your current work. Yes, so I used to work in the advertising space straight out of school. I was looking for something techy and creative, and I landed there. And I think the biggest takeaway from that is to not stay anywhere that you're not fulfilled and you're not happy. (laughs) I'm not sure if that like directly helps with my current career, but it's a life lesson to learn where you don't want to be as much as it is to learn what you do want to do. I can definitely relate to that. I had a, a job that on paper seemed like a really good fit that right before making the switch full force to pursue writing and realizing that I couldn't do it or wasn't happy there was very clarifying and helpful in terms of, you know, going after something I really wanted. Has becoming an environment artist changed your relationship with public spaces, buildings, spaces that you occupy on, you know, on a day-to-day level? Yes, I can't go anywhere without thinking about, you know, this would be such a cool texture or, wow, look at that wear and tear, that environmental storytelling. Look how the edge of this table has been scuffed through wear. Just everything. I went on a vacation to Ireland and I just, I wanted to take pictures of everything and make a a full, I don't know, Irish meadow environment. It's just, once you start seeing through that lens, everything starts to be through that lens. It's kind of like, I went to school initially for film. When you first start doing film studies, every movie you watch, you start to see that fourth wall break. You kind of think about where the lights are in the room and where the camera is and the thought process behind the cinematography. And it's like that in real life. How can I recreate this in 3D? (laughs) You ever see like a single shoe on the floor and be like, that's environmental storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes you see stuff that isn't right too. And and you think, oh my God, like who forgot to stretch out their UVs? Like (laughs) (laughs) This is terrible. (laughs) Terrible design. (laughs) Similarly, do you sort of feel that way or has it sort of changed the way that you're watching like movies or reading books or like sort of like everything is sort of like digging for material? I mean, it's definitely changed the way that I play games. I don't know that I have fun playing games as much as I used to. I'm playing Horizon Forbidden West right now, and I think that it's gonna take me probably 60% longer to complete than it would have in the old me because I'm examining every asset, especially the foliage, examining every single asset, like 
walking around and looking at every leaf, dying a bunch of times because I'm so focused on the textures. We've got to see what's on the other side of that cliff, whether it means going over or not. Exactly. You are actually our second guest that I know of uh, who's also a sculptor. And I was wondering how similar or different you find the act of sculpting in the real world to the act of environmental design. Are those things sort of analogous in any way? Definitely. There is certain 3D software that is really as close as you're going to get digitally, like ZBrush, um, even Blender has an in-house sculpt tool. And if you're using a pen, it's not as tactile as actually working with clay, but they get it really, really close. Differences, I guess, in a more traditional modeling program. Things are a little stiffer and you're working with vertices. Um, you can't smooth something over with your thumb, <laughs> but being able to visualize and work in 3D is an extremely transferable skill. I know you've recently made the switch into this new career, as we've discussed, and I was curious where you turned to for support or feedback while you were building your portfolio and doing the work to try and land your first games job. That time in my life required a lot of support. It was, um, it's very hard to get into an industry that has so many hopefuls trying to enter it. I think that you probably know that from your animation background. These kind of jobs that kids dream of having, applicants are a dime a dozen. And so being that needle in the haystack that somebody picks up and decides to take a chance on is a huge struggle, no matter how good you are. During that space from graduating, I did a post-grad year at Seneca to just sort of get some formal learning in. I did a year which was more self-work and working on my portfolio, trying to stand out from student work. And fortunately, I had supportive teachers that I had met while in the program. I had supportive friends, just people who believed in me and would tell me to keep going when I was doubting myself. And also networking is extremely important to help you get noticed out of the thousands of applicants. And so I was really lucky that I had built a good relationship with one of my instructors at Seneca who actually connected me with the studio that I'm at now for my initial interview. I uploaded a portfolio piece onto ArtStation and he liked it and he gave me some constructive criticism and asked me if I wanted to get in touch with certain affinity for an informational interview, so. Love to hear about a functional mentorship. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk goodest notes. Um, can you tell me about some memorable notes or hands-on practical advice that you have received in your career? Yes. All right, you've come to the right place. <laughs> One of the best notes that I've gotten, I got when I was a student. I'm a person who struggles with perfectionism. I think that that's something that's relatable to a lot of creatives. I think that we tie a lot of our self-worth into our creative output and perfectionism is kind of a need to control that self-worth and that output just to make sure that what we are creating in the way that we're being perceived is the best. So as a student, I, you know, typical kid, 
strive to get the straight A's in school, just chasing that. Validation. Yeah, that perfect (laughs) validation kind of vibe. And I remember working on an assignment at Seneca, and it was one of the first things that I modeled for that school. And I was working late and trying to get every single vertex on my model, like, perfectly level and, like, perfectly aligned to match the reference. And I remember asking my instructor, like, hey, like, I can't get these things to snap perfectly. It's driving me crazy. Do you have any advice for that? (laughs) And he says, "Um, don't. Nothing in life is perfect. In fact, if you make it too perfect, it's not going to read as believable. You're failing at what you're trying to do. You're trying to make a realistic prop. Let go of perfect. Looking back, did you feel it sort of like immediately changing the way that you worked or thought? Or was it one that took like some amount of time to cook before it was applicable? I think both. I mean, I'm definitely still cooking. (laughs) Yeah. Aren't we all? Right? It's something I I have to constantly kind of come back to. I have like a sticky note on my desk and it says, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. A truck just went by, so I don't know if that was like... Okay, I think I got birds going on here. So as we are talking, (laughs) we should not let perfect be the enemy of good. Exactly. So initially, big impact on my work. I stopped wasting, you know, I think countless hours trying to make every minute detail as good as it could be. That's especially true for video games where you really have to take into consideration the size of your object on the screen. I think it's a forever lesson as a recovering perfectionist. That struggle, I'm often reminded of the Ira Glass quote where it talks about the artist's skills catching up with their taste. Like that being a very common problem for creative people to have is that what comes first is usually your ability to judge whether something is good or not. And your ability to make something, you know, inevitably is going to lag behind that. So I think that's good advice for for anybody trying to struggle through getting better and matching what they want to do. I was actually thinking of that earlier today. There's a graph on Twitter. Someone illustrated that thought and it's sort of like the pit of despair in the creative process where your vision, your taste, your ability to see doesn't match up with your ability to produce. And as you grow as a creative, you know, you keep getting back into that pit of despair as you continue to improve your ability to see and critique yourself. It's a pendulum of pain. We spend a lot of time in the despair pit. Yeah. And we try and help each other crawl out. Oh, yeah. On that note, were there any other goodest notes that you wanted to dig into? Yes. More related to game art, I think good notes are from level designers when they remind you that the goal is the player experience not your art. Everything is related to trying to make everything perfect. But as an environment artist, my goal is to make the best looking thing possible. And I want it to be as close to the concept, as close to the vision as I can get it. But I have extreme limitations to work within tech budget and also design. We have a weekly meeting where the level designers give us notes what we've done, if any of the things that we have done have caused collision issues or any of the like. There was an area that one of my fellow artists had arted up, decorated to the nines, and the level designer had the unfortunate job to tell them and to tell us really that we needed to kind of 
rethink that whole situation. They explained, this looks like something that the player wants to avoid, and that's not part of the function of the level design. If they're all skirting around this corner wider, then they are opening themselves up to being shot sooner. They're not using the cover in the intended way if you create this artificial visual path. So the note there is to think player first. What is the purpose of this space ultimately? Yes. That's so interesting too, just because that's so, not just difficult, but sort of impossible for one person to hold in their head. I just think that, you know, perhaps even more than film and TV games, especially AAA games, are the ultimate sort of collaborative medium at the moment in requiring so many different disciplines to work together. So that's an interesting thing to consider, but I imagine extra difficult when like everybody is sort of viewing their work through kind of like a narrow cone. (laughs) They have to like work together and stand on each other's shoulders to peek over the wall into what the player's going to experience. It's really beautiful how collaborative game development is. I really like working with other people, especially people that are passionate and can kind of like stoke my coals as I stoke theirs or whatever, just gassing each other up to try and get the best results. And that's something that I really like about my job. But it can be a challenge because I think that there are a lot of creatives who are very precious, as I was saying, about their output. And so it's a fine balance of trying to get what you need to feel fulfilled and like you've contributed the maximum that you can to something while also letting other people shine and do what they need to do. It's time for unsolicited feedback. So I'm going to throw out some topics to you and I want you to try and give some constructive notes and feedback about them. That being said, you can be as brief or dismissive as you want. In fact, I encourage it. Let's get to it. Do you have any unsolicited feedback for the current generation of Pokemon starters? These are the, the three <laughs> Pokemon you get to choose oh when God. you start a Pokemon game. All I can say is that I hope that they stay quadrupedal. I hope that they stay cute animals. I hope there is no sexy dad evolution. I know that that may not be a popular opinion. People in the know are are dying, uh, laughing right now, and people who are less in the know who are listening are, are very confused. And I appreciate that. It's just it's something that I, I hold close to my heart. I just, I want... No sexy dads, Pokemon. No, thank you. Or at least not in the starters. Okay, that's good. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any unsolicited feedback for keyboards? QWERTY keyboards. I wish that you weren't so clacky. But at the same time, I wish that you were clackier. I just wish there was a way to only experience the clack in my heart (laughs) and to not bother my coworkers if I leave my mic open in a Zoom. Do you have any unsolicited feedback for using an exercise ball as a chair? Yeah, don't do it. Seems like it would be fun. It seems like a good game, but um, butt sweat is real. You will be really sweaty in your butt. And if you like that, then... That's cool. Go with God, yeah. Maybe do. Just know what you're getting in for. Yes. The 
this is called noting your past self. And the conceit is that I have invented time travel successfully, and I am now squandering this incredible technology by using it for the sole purpose of allowing you to give notes and feedback to your past self. That being said, what point in time would you go to and what advice would you give? I love this concept. I think time travel is such a dangerous gambit. You're like if a genie asked you for, <laughs> for wishes, you would just walk away. And I've seen that Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, exactly. Temporal Prime Directive, like probably shouldn't go back in time and change anything. But would I? On the one hand, I'm a strong believer, like your past is your past. If I didn't go through all that I did. I wouldn't be who I am today. But I really wish I could go back even to just 2011 version of myself when I was in advertising and daydreaming about getting into games. And I wish I could tell myself to stop getting in my own way and to, you know, let go of the fear of failure and just try sooner. I think I sat in that fear for longer than I needed. And I created this like, I don't know, bad mental state, this wall for myself, because I was so afraid that if I went for the thing that I wanted, I wouldn't get there. And then I would know that I was a failure. For a long time, I kind of thought that that was better, just not trying, you know? I do. I think that must be relatable to anyone who is an artist. I wish I could go back and give myself the pro tip that uh, I might be able to succeed of it and that I should go for it sooner. Thank you for using my uh, time machine responsibly and not causing a time paradox. Hopefully we're in the better timeline now. Um, yeah, don't think too hard about that. <laughs> Rosalie, is there anything you're working on that you'd like to plug, any social medias? Y'all can follow me on Twitter if you want some shit posts. <laughs> Pokemon hot takes. <laughs> yeah, hot takes. I'm Rosalie Hope on Twitter. If you are a creative trying to break into the gaming industry, I know how hard networking can be. Um, please feel free to reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Rosalie Cronin. I'm bad at email correspondence, but I will eventually respond to you in two to three business days with open arms. And I'd love to see your portfolio and give you notes. So please don't be shy. That's extremely generous. Don't be weird. Don't be shy, but also don't be weird about it. Don't be weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an open invitation. You can't talk to me unless you want to work in video games and you're cool. Uncool kids, back off. Yeah. Rosalie, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and your insight. This has been Goodest Notes. If you have a subject you would like a future guest to give notes on, please write into goodestnotes at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Goodest Notes. We are produced by Drew Thomas, who also wrote the Goodest Notes theme song along with myself. We held hands the entire time. How nice. Let's do this again. We did it.